So what's important for us is to not build a robot for the lab, but for these very harsh environments. So quickly understanding these robots are going to be exposed for many, many months and, and years to outside environments. So building a system that's completely water and dust proof, that, that's very important. So as we design the systems, the ceiling, etc., all it's all very closed off. At the same time, what you need to take in consideration, you need to take the heat out from the actuators, from the compute. So having advanced thermal management system is something we have heavily invested in. Now we took that quite far and the next frontier was with AnimalX, a robot that could go into potentially explosive environments. Now these are environments where you would have gases that you're not allowed to ignite through a spark or a heat source that could cause an explosion. Obviously creating an explosion in these environments would be very bad and so there's strict protocols called IECEX or ATEX certifications that you need when you introduce a device. That meant that we needed to develop a special robot that also complies with these certifications. So in our case, the robot is flooded with an overpressure of nitrogen, making sure none of the gases come in. The robot has special uh, battery uh, chemicals. The motors are enclosed differently. All the sensors are packed in. So a lot of engineering went into building essentially the same robot but for this explosive environment. So certainly it's quite challenging, um, but it's also highly rewarding because we can really push here the frontiers on how robots are being used. general, um, so I have a master's degree in mechanical engineering and a doctorate in robotics. So I would you know, define myself as a highly technical person, I think brought up uh, with a brain that thinks very engineering-like, um, but I also see a second side on myself where I like the creativity. I always care to create something, have a positive impact. I'm also very much interested in the impact that the things that we're creating in engineering can have. So certainly I see myself a mix between you know, a brain uh, driven by engineering, but I would say a heart for customers and problems. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious to go to the beginning of the story in book because I think that's an interesting part since most of us are here also from academia and you came from ETH. And can you tell me about the starting point that you design and before going to think about founding any robotics? Can you go back to this time? Absolutely. Exactly? Yeah, it was the time 2010, roughly, at ETH Zurich, that many of the listeners might be familiar with. So that's one of the leading technical universities in Switzerland. And at the Autonomous Systems Lab, the idea was really, can we build robots that explore different types of the world? We had flying robots, we had swimming robots. And quite soon, the idea came up, why don't we build a robot with four legs. And the idea there was really, can we move through environments outside of the lab? Can we move through unstructured environments where typically only humans or people could go? 
Can we walk stairs? Can we walk through the forest? And so four legs was really an interesting concept that we followed up on. And the team grew over time researching it. Uh, quite soon we noticed that things are starting to work. We could add autonomy on top of the system. And quite soon also through the YouTube publications and videos and papers that, that we published, companies would actually approach us and say, hey, look, what you're building here is interesting because none of the technologies they have available solves the problems they need, the eyes and the ears on site, but they cannot have constantly people present. So the idea of having a robot to do industrial automation and specifically inspections was born during that time. And so 2016, we founded the company out of a group of master students and PhD students and having the growing the company since. And it's a quite exciting time after 10 years of from basic research to now having almost 120 employees uh, shipping on robots worldwide, seeing them put to use. And I think one of, you know, a dream really come true. So I would like to go to the beginning. Can you tell me about the challenges since you already have a PhD and everything and now you're venturing in real world situation? What about maybe the, the shift in the mindset? Did it, there's just something like you learn it like or was really a bit of challenge to adapt to the demand to have this robot being reliable. Yeah, it's interesting, of course. But tell me about this moment of transitioning to real world demand here and building the use cases, the first early use cases. The challenges move pretty much in a two or three year window. At the beginning, it was important. Can we even build a lightweight robot um, that has, you know, certain autonomy with battery that we can run tetherless. So, you know, having lightweight actuators, actuators that can absorb impact of walking, having the electronics all built in, then adding perception, you know, really the compute, put that to the limit. That was a big, big technical challenge. Now, over the years, we're seeing more and more components available that we can work with, but we really had to go really deep design our own actuator system down to the electronics and magnets, et cetera, because none of those components were available. Then you have suddenly a robot that can do the, these basic tasks and you want to take it out and you notice it's quite fragile. So reliability was a big part of it. So how do you modularize the system? How do you, you know, build shells and protection methods around it? 2016, we had the first robot that was completely water and dust proof, but that's also quite a challenge. And then now that we're industrializing the product or have industrialized and we have our shipping our, you know, the fully certified animal for two years now, it was like, how do you design a safe robot? How do you make the electronics compliant with CE, FCC certifications? Uh, these are, you know, potentially machines that are mobile. They could be dangerous if not treated or designed properly. So that was a big challenge. And today the challenge is, how do you go now from a couple of dozens and hundreds of robots to thousands and ten thousands eventually? So using new manufacturing technologies, getting down the cost, bringing up reliability. So it's a very interesting phase now as we scale the production of our robots. Mm -hmm. May I ask you, from your experience, which is challenging part? Is it the hardware or the software and the communication of the robot? Because there's a debate here, which is challenging, do you think? They're all very important. And the difficult but also nice thing is that you cannot solve one problem with only one, you know, electronic software or sorry, hardware, software or communications. 
So whatever you have the choice of picking one of the three or a combination thereof. So if you look at walking itself, you couldn't use, you know, extremely heavy and incompliant actuators and just hope the software will solve it. But you have to do certain things in the actuation system, adding compliance robustness and the rest comes then from software, but you add then suddenly sensors on top. Uh, but then it's about how do you communicate that to the user, how we can use the robot. So it's really, you're looking at it very holistically and you, you pick your fight on what to apply. And whatever problem you have, you have to dissect it and see how do you, how can you solve it the most efficient. Back in the days, we certainly, we looked at it very technically and said, how can we make this run robustly and reliably? But nowadays it's often, how do we communicate to the user how to use this feature? Because today our customers, these are not robotics engineers, but operations people, plant managers. So they're not familiar with robotics. So how do you use concepts that they're known to? How can you transmit and convey the intent of the robot? So it's becoming also more and more of a communications problem as you have people interacting with it that are previously not familiar with robotics. Maybe I want to skip the beginning when you have the robot at the early of the company. Why quadruit? Like when the client just go into companies, like uh, they want to automate this, their solution whatsoever. How you bring them this justification about the calls? Because it is still expensive, for sure, we know that. And um, maybe I'm curious, how do you see the cost and functionality and telling the, the client or the end user, like, this is the right solution? How you make this a story with any robotics? You ask robotics company, you have to be really focused in an area where already today, even if you have lower numbers and you're not profiting massively from economies of scale, you still have a viable business case. And we found this very early in the industrial environment. Now, if you imagine a facility, and these are huge facilities, imagine oil and gas, chemicals, mining, power. These facilities, every single one of them generates multiple hundreds of thousand dollars revenue per day. Now, if you can help them to save a few hours, extend the maintenance period, transportation costs often for offshore that go into the tens of thousands. And if you can save a couple of trips per year. So these are so high numbers that even today with a higher cost of robots, it's absolutely worthwhile to use robots already. And the industry is already pretty clear in that. Um, there is a path to get down the cost even further, but today we already have a viable business model because the industry, just the amount of, of, of revenues they need to generate and the materials they're pumping through these facilities is so high. But you have to be smart about it, right? If you're today doing last mile delivery, for example, there you're competing with a one-to-one -one with a person who could do that job and maybe, you know, an underpaid student on a bicycle delivering pizzas, right? In the extreme case. So there you have to start from the beginning and be very price or cost sensitive as you design the robot. So it's all about your strategy picking the area you play in. And for us, this meant we could go in with a complex technology that could, for the first time, really solve the problem where the cost and the ROIs, the return on investment, uh, already makes sense today. And what about the use cases? I think that's other use cases. And I, I would love also to shed the light on the partnership with Cognite because I think it's quite interesting. Can you tell me about the, um, what Cognite is offering here to this partnership? And yeah, maybe interesting to know about that. Absolutely. So in terms of the use cases, what does a robot do? So we provide a fully autonomous data gathering vehicle, if you're going to say so. So a robot that 
walks through the facilities and very reliably and frequently can generate very important insights. And by that, we mean capturing with high-end sensors visually, so taking a look at the machines, checking their mode of operations, reading gauges, interpreting what the, the, the lever position is, uh, reading displays, uh, checking for corrosion, cracks, etc. We do that also with thermography, finding hotspots in the environments, acoustics to figure out frequencies that could potentially be a problem, gas sensors to recognize gases and leakages, 3D scanners to take measurements and monitor the changes in the environment. So you're adding a lot of sensors on top of the robot that actually go beyond what the human can do today manually. And so if you look at the entire ecosystem, that's one big component, how you generate and collect this accurate real-time information. And this is the basis for all the digitalization processes, especially now talking about Cognite. They're a digital twin and data ops platform, and they need this real-time reliable information fed in to the digital twin. So that's why the partnership from Anybotics and Cognite is, is really a match made in heaven because we need somewhere where this data becomes useful and make sense of it. They can contextualize it also with other data. They look at time series, but at the same time, Cognite knows they need real-time information and robotics there is an absolute key enabler for them to get this data. And now if we spin this further, this is now one element, getting data from the reality to the digital world. In the future, what we're looking at is then also to combine from the digital world back to reality. So being able to command the robot to do certain additional measurements, use a manipulator on top of the robot to change the environment. Imagine turning a lever, taking a sample, opening a cabinet for additional measurements, etc. So robotics and this digital twin world, uh, it's really a combination to bring the physical and the digital world together. If I want to go to the 50 million uh, serious uh, fund here, can you, can you do me first of all, congratulations for this. Um, but can you me more about what are the vision? I'm just curious when you have these ideas and vision and what got functionality and the competition also, I don't know if you would like to talk about that if there is any also, can you tell me about the whole thing here and the funding you that the company mm -hmm. received recently? So the funding in our Series B comes at a really good time because there's a fantastic market demand that has built up over the last couple of years. It's also our effort at Anybotics, but also other companies, including Boston Dynamics, that really brought the visibility to Legit and Inspection Robots, and we see all the major companies in the heavy industries now having a robotics program. So there's a good time to capture this opportunity now and with the 50 million Series B funding, we're able to double down on operations, production, uh, increase our worldwide presence, open offices in different countries and capture that opportunity. The second topic is that through software intelligence, we can have the robots do so many more things than originally designed for. So by having computer vision and data analytics algorithms on top of the existing hardware and through over-the-air updates, we can give more and more functionality and value. And thirdly, it's also about developing new hardware components, be that additional sensor, but also manipulation, as I mentioned before. These are key enablers to broaden the type of work these robots can do, and it's a fantastic time to invest in this area. Mm -hmm. And may I ask you, there's a life time for the robot like did you 
imagine, I don't know, there's just as like how many, how many years the robot should be replaced. Do, do you do this kind of expectation like life cycle? Ab absolutely. Absolutely, that's a very important part. And it starts actually when you design the robot. When you dimension all the components, you, you want to be sure, you know, what you design it for, but also verify it. So our system is designed for continuous operational use according to standard pattern. That means, you know, multiple days per time, multiple hours of missions and then charging for at least three years. And we tested all the subcomponents, and that starts at the, the drives, the legs, the feet, testing all of that. Uh, run the robot through heat chambers, uh, humidity chambers. So you're really verifying your design also at that stage before you start shipping, right? Mm -hmm. Also, I want to just ask you about, important point about the design, and I think maybe in a factory setting, it doesn't matter with the whole noise, but you know how the case for the design for animal. It's a very interesting topic, especially, say, the appearance, the motion, and the sound are fundamental to how robots are perceived. Now, when you talk about the design, right, you don't want to de design a threatening robot that feels like it could attack you or something, but you, you want to make a, a safe, a reliable, and non-threatening, a friendly design. Also, that's why Animal has this little face. People are looking for the eyes. It has this little smiling face to make it approachable and that works extremely well because people immediately you know, almost fall in love and, 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 and create sympathy for the robot. Second topic is motion. Again, rather slow, deliberate motions are very important to show if the robot is careful, it's safe, it's not gonna jump on you or anything. So that's an important component as we design these motion patterns. And third, it's also the sound as you mentioned. Now there, indeed, the environments that we work in, we're not trying to reduce the sound, actually. So it's actually quite the opposite. It's already very loud in these environments and people should feel or hear the robot approaching. So they're not suddenly surprised if there's a robot standing behind them. So that's why we also have big lights on the robots for visibility and also the sound. Actually, the robot, if it stomps you know, a little bit, that's actually good because already in these environments, it's super loud and people are wearing... Yeah, hearing protection that any sound we can make is actually uh, positive. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Maybe about the, you mentioned the, the design. I'm curious how you guys come up with the design to appealing because people have different reaction. I understand any robotics, the story more about in, in this setting, not as a companion. Not a, can you confirm that? It's not a companion the robot will be one day we can see animal as a companion just in the factory maybe just work alongside you but not at home molds you know what i mean mm -hmm. so we're designing the system and also our vision is to create you know an autonomous workforce that is not necessarily right now there to very close to you to interact to do a shared task but it's rather somebody or a device that shares the workspace with you so the design is not something you're supposed to touch. You keep distance to the device. It's working by itself. Nevertheless, it's still important that it's friendly and predictable, but it's not something that we design, you know, to be touched or to be cuddly. So I would say it's a coworker, not necessarily a companion. Maybe I want to ask about important to go with energy. I think this is also 
something most uh, robotics now, I think, two or three hours of battery life. How do you see the battery life in operation? Of course, there is a fleet here, but when you think about the, the operation time with the battery, how do you see the challenges and limitations? So the battery operational time of two to three hours, that's not a limiting factor actually today. So what, what's happening is people are automating inspection rounds for the human, you know, to take between half an hour, one hour, maybe one and a half. Now the robot might be a little slower or might even take more measurements. However, it's always within one and a half to two hours, the typical rounds that we do. But then it's very important that nobody needs to interfere with the robot to touch it. So autonomous docking and self-charging becomes yeah, absolutely fundamental to do that. And w once you have that, then it, it's not a limiting factor, as I mentioned. And, and if you have longer rounds that you want, you can also use multiple docking stations to go through them. And their customers are not concerned necessarily about the speed of the robot. It's more, can you cover this area? And then the docking station setup is ideal. And having it done you know, certain areas two, three, four, five times a day, that's much more data than they have today. And so, as I mentioned, the battery time is here not a limiting factor today. Of course, uh, our hopes are high that, you know, from actuation side, we'll be able to optimize for power usage. But also, if new technologies and batteries enable us to have a longer, longer runtime, we'll be even be able to extend the duration of the robot. We could also sacrifice some of the payload capabilities of the robot for additional batteries. Right now, the robot can carry 15 kilogram. Of course, we could use some of that for a battery. But right now, we, I think the trade-off, we, we picked a good uh, yeah, balance between payload and battery operation. Also, one of the questions by the audience was, do you plan to integrate six-degree freedom on to animal? Absolutely. That's the next frontier of robotics. Today, we're really good at inspection, taking data in. And the next level is, you know, connecting from the digital to the physical world is through manipulation. So building manipulation capabilities for specialized tasks. Here, one of the tasks that quite often happens is people needing to take samples. So you have operators multiple times a day going into potentially explosive environments with sometimes with hazard suits, right? And then special sensors just to fill a bottle of certain liquids. It's an easy process for humans to take a bottle, open the the lid uh, and pour in a liquid, but for robots, it's actually quite challenging. We have shown to be able to do that in the lab. However, if you really bring that out into the real world, where it's raining, there's sunlight, things have moved, there's things that are broken off or slippery. So that's the next frontier that we're working on. I'm curious to be about the actuation. Do you think the actuation now could be enhanced to take advantage of the power consumption, etc.? How do you see the state of the actuation since we yeah, can be able to see and we have other types, but do you imagine maybe actuation should be enhanced a little bit robotics so that we can avoid the power consumption, etc. Or you don't think it is needed? Absolutely. Whenever we have we can take advantage of new technologies, we're taking, you know, thinking about what problem can we solve in addition. Now today already with the existing actuators they're actually quite powerful so using some of our deep learning algorithms we can get much much more out of the existing hardware already so it's quite fascinating so we have robots jumping on on boxes while in the videos with the customers they don't need that necessarily but the hardware can do it 
Now for us, additional actuation doesn't necessarily mean we need to, to run faster. So speed is, is not always a positive thing for safety reasons. For us, it's environmental temperature, for example, having a robot at 50, 60 degree environmental temperature when it's more efficient, that's a key factor. Having it long, run a longer time is certainly a, a nice addition and then additional payload. So if you can suddenly carry objects that are heavier than 15 kilograms, then we can start also transporting materials in the construction site and agriculture. So certainly we're investing a lot, but also profiting from the entire robotic ecosystems who is investing in more powerful actuators. Interesting. What I really like about robotics, that use case about using in toxic material, toxic environment, and I think that's something advantageous. Let me ask you about the material, the robot. If there's something specific, I don't know if you can share something on that. There is a specific consideration when you're dealing with such a harsh environment. What the robot can go to, especially what we have in the market? Mm -hmm. So what's important for us is to not build a robot for the lab, but for these very harsh environments. So quickly understanding these robots are going to be exposed for many, many months and, and years to outside environments. So building a system that's completely water and dust proof. That that's very important. So as we design the systems, the ceiling, etc., all it's all very closed off. At the same time, what you need to take in consideration, you need to take the heat out from the actuators, from the compute. So having advanced thermal management system is something we have heavily invested in. Now we took that quite far, and the next frontier was with AnimalX, a robot that could go into potentially explosive environments. Now these are environments where you would have gases that you're not allowed to ignite through a spark or a heat source that could cause an explosion. Obviously, creating an explosion in these environments would be very bad, and so there's strict protocols called IECEX or ATEX certifications that you need when you introduce a device. That meant that we needed to develop a special robot that also complies with these certifications. So in our case, the robot is flooded with an overpressure of nitrogen, making sure none of the gases come in. The robots have special uh, battery uh, chemicals. The motors are enclosed differently. All the sensors are packed in. So a lot of engineering went into building essentially the same robot, but for this explosive environment. So certainly it's quite challenging, um, but it's also highly rewarding because we can really push here the frontiers on how robots are being used. Impressive. I ask you what is still challenging or missing in general when you see the the whole robotics system here. Do you think something's still missing from your experience? Very challenging to be done. So if you look at the entire robotics space, so far in manufacturing, in warehousing, robots are quite ubiquitous for many, many years now. What we observed there is that the world has actually been built around these robots. So it's often specialized environments, caged off robots, I think really the next frontier and where we have a fantastic opportunity is to let robots work alongside of human humans in our existing environments. Now, I know a lot of people, they would love a cleaning robot at home. Now, that's a very tough environment. I think before that happens, though, is that robots will also enter environments in the heavy industries. What we're doing, but also construction sites, there's a huge opportunity in agriculture. So having robots that are safe, they're mobile, intelligent, um, and can do useful tasks in these everyday environments where so far only people work is a fantastic uh, opportunity. Um, and I believe also everything that happens in AI 
will give us yet another tool in solving this mm. challenge. So Fikusha left and I will let you go. Maybe the first one about the hominoid robot. What do you think about the hominoid robot? Since your robot can transition from quadruped to semi-hominoid robot. I think that's interesting design. But when you see the Lusserif announcement of hominoid robot, um, every human should ha have a hominoid robot one day. Do you believe in that or do you think it's not necessarily? I'm, I don't know if you can answer that question. What What's your take about that? In general, I'm, I'm extremely excited about funding and the visibility of robotics and the general push into humanoid robotics. I myself also work uh, in, in, in that area for quite a bit. Today, I still see quite a gap between the complexity and the, the focus on building this replica of a human and the use case. We discussed before the cost, the robustness, the certification topics. Right now, the humanoid robots are still you know, concerned with building a stable platform. So it's going to take quite a significant time. In the meanwhile, I'm you know, more of fo following the strategy of building specialized robots for different applications. So a four-legged robot that can climb stairs, uh, let's say a robot with magnetic wheels that can climb on the walls, drones. So using different technologies and morphologies of devices that are more optimized to the task at hand. It's the same thing we observe in nature. The human itself can do many things well, but there's always one area where an animal can jump higher, run quicker, climb better. So we're more following that trajectory of building specialized devices. I like this answer. I think that's answer was it needed or not. And now I get this answer. Uh, and I agree with you. Maybe the, maybe a few questions for you. Um, do you afraid of taking risk? I think given the, how it's growing, all the changes, do you afraid of taking risk? Or I'm curious what makes you stay up late? Like, it's, it, I, th I think it's not easy. I don't know, but I'm curious how, how it looks like for you. Is it overwhelming or how it looks like? It's extremely exciting. We, all of us as co-founders and also the, the people that joined the company, they know that there's an inherent risk, right? Building a company and especially in robotics and an environment in a field that has not been proven before to work out. So there's this inherent risk, but also that's what excites us to build something new that nobody has done before. So it's, we see it very positively for all of us. If this doesn't work out, it's absolutely not the end of the world. We'll, you know, we learn so much, go back to drawing board and start again. So that's the mentality behind it. So far, we're extremely happy that we were able to progress. I imagine over 13 years, really from the basic ideas to a viable business now, there's still a lot of way ahead of us to make this uh, big industry and succeed in world leading company. Um, but we couldn't be more excited about the journey and everything we learn on the, on mm -hmm. the way. I want to skip about the robotics market and your business to the land. Yes, it's interesting, but I'm curious about the, the, the geopolitics here about having the robotics market state in Europe and US. I, I'm not sure from your experience, where it was the most interesting and where it's most really not accepting to the technology and yeah, if you can share, how, how is the robust market looks like to you? Mm -hmm. So in general, the customers that we work with, they're extremely international. So they have facility around the world. So right now for Anybotics, we're heavily focused on Europe, US, certain countries in South America, such as Brazil, the UAEs and Asia Pacifics. So these are the markets we're also 
either have a presence ourselves or have a local partner that can help us in deployment and servicing. But we observe a general trend worldwide, also driven by these international companies to approach robotics. So I haven't seen a, a, a specific region in the world who says for us robotics is, is, is not relevant. Being a Swiss company and coming out of Europe is certainly interesting to be able to play worldwide and be able to worldwide provider. Certainly there's certain risks involved of having robots with many, many sensors, compute, you know, data processing, but also communications that certain data could fall into the wrong hands. And so there we're very stringent on our data security processes, cybersecurity processes. It's about making sure that who owns the data, what's the data we're getting, how can we look at it? So building trust as a company is extremely important, taking that seriously and be also a world leader in how you use data protection methods. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about data protection? Is it only if then a company like Worker, is it, how, how it looks like this protection and GDPR? Now the robot has obviously a lot of cameras and sensors around it. They're constantly getting data for the robot to be able to navigate and see obstacles. But most of the data never leaves the robot and is immediately deleted after it's being used, right? So the robot might see your face, but it recognizes a distance to an object, uh, make sure it walks around you, and then it's forgotten that you were ever there, right? So that that's very important. We're not constantly recording everything. What we're recording, though, is certainly the inspection points, and there you also notice the robot stops, it looks at something, and then records that element. And so only that subset of data is then stored. And that data always belongs to the customers, so it doesn't necessarily need to go through any Baltics servers. It can stay on local servers. It can go into the cloud of the customers. We're only seeing meta-level information. So for example, how many steps has the robot done? What's the battery cycle? These are important types of information that we're getting to make sure the robot is is is, is running up to the performance. Uh, we can help that in servicing. So essentially the strict data split between what type of data do we get and what does the customer get is the basis for us to enable, um, yeah, be compliant with GDPR, for example. Mm-hmm. So final question for you, what is the aspiration for you as your team at Anibotics? What are the things you want to reach with the company? Like when you look to the animal X or I don't know what kind of thing is crazy ideas, but I know it's, <laughs> I mean, it's very realistic that when you think about it, yeah. So our ambitions are really to take the opportunity, the time we're able to invest also at the university and build a world leader in robotics out of Europe, out of Switzerland. I think that's something uh, we're aiming for. That's something that would make us really proud to be able to do that. And we're today laser focused on what we're doing with four-legged robots and industrial inspection. But our vision is what we call creating a workforce of autonomous robots. So we really want to automate manual work where today there's no automation capabilities, help people to do the work safer, more productive, help with the demographic trend that we have fewer and fewer people that actually can or are available to do these manual tasks. So we'll be also investing in different platforms and essentially really create a robotic automation network of robots. So that's our aspiration and certainly an exciting journey and and something we get really excited about thinking about these uh, um, ideas. Final words for people listening or for what's the community? Any final words here? 
Now, so thanks a lot, Marva, for you know giving robotics a voice, spreading the stories in robotics. I think that's really important. I want to also with sharing the stories about Anybotics, and we're quite vocal and, and and you know going out and glad to be contacted by others that take inspiration in our journey. I think we have a fantastic opportunity ahead of us in the coming years. I think what we need to be careful is that robotics is a complex field and I see a lot of engineers really falling in love with technology, uh, but don't forget everything else in the world. It's important to master the technology, but think of the problem you're solving, the impact and responsibility we have over these devices. So taking the robots out early, seeing how you can build something that benefits the world, I think it's very important. And to also not only fall in love with your robot, but fall in love with the customers and the problem you're solving. Mm -hmm.